This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, and it is the great Monday edition of The Yard. Hope you are well today. Hope you enjoyed the weekend. Uh, we had some things to cheer about and some things that uh, we're a little frustrated about, which is kind of the case with Mississippi State sports from time to time. We're going to talk about all that today. I don't know if you guys uh, kept up late last week. I guess it was uh, Friday evening, and then I wrote a story Saturday morning over on Gene's page that the the Egg Bowl for 2021 may be moving back to Thanksgiving. There has not been a firm decision made just yet, but it is something that is being discussed. You know, we we didn't play on Thanksgiving this year. We also didn't play the last weekend of the year against Ole Miss. And so uh, a lot of people said, hey, I kind of like it on uh, Saturday. Other people like it on Thursday. I know some people say, you know what, Thanksgiving should be for family. I kind of like having it on Thanksgiving for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is because – I kind of enjoy gathering together with our Mississippi State family. And uh, the last couple of years, I've had Thanksgiving with, uh, you know, some of our our local vendors as I've done book signings as you guys have come to town. But also, too, I like it on Thanksgiving for the fact that uh, it is a great marketing tool for Mississippi State football. We are generally the only game in town on the college side of things when we play on Thanksgiving. And it is something, too, that uh, I don't know most people have figured this out yet, but uh, we have played on Thanksgiving against Ole Miss a lot. It hadn't just been in recent years. We have played on, the, on Thanksgiving 29 times, 29 times in 117 meetings. There was a stretch there now, long before there was ever any, uh, you know, TV that we played those guys on Thanksgiving a lot. Uh, I got the list right here in front of me. You know, from 1926 through 1932, we played on Thanksgiving. You go all the way back even before that in 1905, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, we played on Thanksgiving. From 1938 to 1968, I guess it was, we didn't play on Thanksgiving. And we moved the game back Thanksgiving, 69-70-71. From 72 to 97, we played them on Saturday. And then 98, 99, 2000, 1, 2, and 3, we played on Thanksgiving. Now, we were pretty good in the late 90s, as you guys recall, and those games against Ole Miss were very, very important. And then at the end of Eli Manning's uh, college career there at Ole Miss, we, we stopped playing on Thanksgiving, didn't return to Thanksgiving until 2013. You may recall that game. Dak Prescott came off the bench to lead us to an overtime win uh, over Ole Miss. And then 17, 18, 19, we played on Thanksgiving. So 29 games out of 117 has been played on Thanksgiving. So – it is not something that we're totally unfamiliar with. And it's not something that's always about TV. But in this day and time, 
it makes sense for us to play the game on Thanksgiving. And again, I know some of you say, you know what, I just can't make it on Thanksgiving. You know, that's cool, I guess. But uh, when we played them on 19, it was the biggest crowd of the year at uh, Davis Wade Stadium, the biggest crowd of the year. So there are a lot of people that do make the trip. And that was an important game for us for a lot of reasons. You know, we needed to win that game to achieve bowl eligibility and to keep the egg. It's always a big game. And there has been uh, some controversy at times. And, uh, you know, 17, 18, and 19, we played on Thanksgiving and some crazy things happened. As you guys are well aware, in 17, Nick Fitzgerald had his ankle broken. I don't care what anybody says, does, or suggests. I believe it was a deliberate action. I don't think they expected to break his ankle, but I do think they wanted to – hinder his mobility as a running quarterback 2018 that was the big fight up in Oxford when Jonathan Abram and A.J. Brown both should have been ejected from the ball game and uh, instead they get uh, Cam Dantzler and uh, a few others I guess C.J. Moore from from Ole Miss got a got ejected he didn't even play in the game he was just in, in uniform that day so uh, 2019 of course that's a game too that um, you know we had the golden miss and then Jerry and Jones, of course, runs across the field to uh, to get into it with Ole Miss players and had to be restrained and then ultimately was involved in a, uh, <clears throat> some tampering allegations, which is a kind of ironic. But, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. It makes for good theater. So I think you'll see that happen. I really do. I think that is going to happen. Again, no decision made just yet, but it is something that the schools are discussing with ESPN. I understand ESPN does have some tremendous interest in uh, broadcasting the game. So I know the schedule has been announced and that the Bulldogs and Rebels were scheduled to play on Saturday. But I think you're going to f- see an announcement here in the next several weeks that the game is moving back to Thursday. So go ahead and be thinking about that because there's going to be uh, – you know, a lot of discussion, probably a lot of pressure in some respects because I think the league likes to have the game on Thursday. And as a fan of college football, I'll be honest with you, I like it on Thursday because with all those great rivalry games on Saturday, I get to stay home and watch them. So selfishly, I kind of enjoy being the only game in town on Thursday and then having, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to watch some really cool football. So that's kind of where we stand today, and I wanted to get that in. Today's show mainly about baseball and some basketball stuff, but I wanted to get that in uh, before we got started. Uh, Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show, and uh, listen, we had a great meal there here this past week and uh, got it to go. I have become a fan of uh, getting things to go. Not that I don't enjoy having, you know, being waited on. I, I do. We have a great wait staff here in this neck of the woods you get great service at bulldog burger company but uh, if you want to get it to go you go to eatwithus.com and you can place an online order right there and then they'll, they'll just bring it right out to you and sometimes if i'm in town I'm thinking you know what the last thing i want to do is kind of figure out uh, what we're going to do for supper so it takes a lot of the guesswork about that and you get a great quality meal always get the spring rolls i had one of you that reached out to me on twitter and said you know hey steve i ate the spring rolls and my wife didn't tell me I was any better looking. And I really think she was just trying to kind of maybe prevent you from um, having this expanded feeling about yourself because I'm sure it did make you better looking. Two locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas, and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So for those of you that have kept up with Bulldog Baseball, it has been a wild weekend. In a lot of respects, and I want to spend a lot of time talking about that today. 
The first thing that I want to address is uh, the two-lane dugout. I know many of you are really upset about that. And listen, there were times it kind of chided me a little bit too. You know, maybe it's just different with me. and maybe, maybe I'm an old fogey, maybe because I'm a baseball purist or whatever, or maybe I'm just becoming an old guy. But um, I don't like all the chirping out of the dugout. I, I really don't. I, I think it's beneath the game. I think if you respect the game and you respect your opponent's uh, you're not going to do that sort of thing. I also understand, too, that uh, with limited attendance, a lot of these teams feel the need to uh, you know, kind of go out there and be somewhat demonstrative in the dugout to kind of keep their team fired up. I thought a little bit about Central Michigan. You guys remember when they came in here, they did all kind of weird stuff, too, but none of it ever felt disrespectful. You know what I'm saying? It's like they did a lot of quirky things to kind of stay engaged, and you know we enjoyed that. They were here for a regional two years ago. And um, I just, I never felt, even as crazy as they were, that I never thought the chips were disrespectful to any of the opponents. I just didn't get that vibe. They were great baseball players. They really were. But uh, their antics, I never thought bordered on the obnoxious. I did think Tulane did. And I thought the the umpiring crew kind of let things get out of hand a bit. You know, in game two, uh, one of the umpires went out there and addressed them and told them, hey, you can only talk to your players because there was a lot of things, a lot of jawing back and forth. But you know what? That's the game. I don't want to ever drive the emotion out of the game. I, I just don't. Now, I also don't think that two wrongs make a right. And I had this discussion over on the Jeans Page Baseball Forum, too, with some people. You know, some of our fans, you know, were in the crowd, and I know that some people got captured on microphone, uh, kind of jawing back and forth with Tulane. That's not the way to handle it either. I, I just don't agree with that. You know, and to each their own, you know, far be it for me to tell somebody how to act. But I think when it comes to things like that, we're all representatives of Mississippi State's athletics interests. And if we get out there and kind of do things that are beneath our character, I think it, it paints our baseball program in a negative light. And so I think the best way – to keep people from chirping is to play well. You know, the best way to keep people from chirping is to beat them. Now, fortunately, we won two out of three this weekend. Uh, don't know if we had a real chance to win on Friday. I thought they were outstanding on Friday. We're going to break some of that stuff down for you. But, uh, but you know, it been nice to have had uh, a bit of a laugher at one point so we could kind of sit back and, you know, if we'd gotten a big lead early, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of chirping. But you let them hang around, you let them uh, feel like they're involved, and you let them feel like they're getting to you a little bit, they're going to continue to do it. They only do it because they think it works. And so if it does work, they're going to continue to do it. That's just kind of how it is. But, uh, no, I'm not a big fan of that stuff at all. And I like to see those teams lose. I really do. You know, the only team in the SEC West, and I've thought about this at great length here on Sunday, the only team that I can remember in the SEC West in recent years that acted anywhere close to that, and that's a real stretch, was Texas A&M. I thought Texas A&M was a little bit uh, chirpy. We went down there and played them, and then uh, when they came up here. You know, they've been a little bit chirpy at times. But by and large, I mean, you know, it's like we don't like Ole Miss. But at the same time, too, we kind of respect their baseball program. And, you know, you can say what you want to about Mike Bianco. Guy's been there now 21 years, but uh, I don't remember a lot of, uh, you know, negativity going back and forth. Now, we don't, we don't like them. We don't like losing to them. We always want to beat them. And I remember Brett Cleveland and those guys, and you know, I interviewed uh, 
I guess Brooks Dunn and some other guys about, uh, you know, beating them, you know, back in the SEC tournament, you know, that great team we have with uh, Brad Corley and Jeff Butts and uh, Brad Jones and many others. And they had kind of gotten the better of us. You know, Thomas Berkeley was on that team. And I remember uh, after we won the SEC championship, Berkeley kind of uh, riding by their dugout, kind of showing that SEC championship shirt. You know, but when you win, you can say whatever you want to. And so I, I get it, but the, even as bad as things get between State and Ole Miss, there's just not that same, you know, Bush League type stuff. There's just not. Uh, LSU is another one. At times, they've been a little bit talking, and I think a lot of that, too, is kind of pulmonary. But I remember Mason Katz kind of buzzed our dugout after hitting a home run, and the very next day, Kendall Graveman threw a ball about a foot behind his head, and I think he went over for the day. And so some of that is kind of baseball justice. But, there again, there is a level of respect in baseball that maybe is different than in men's, women's, and, and football, men's, women's, basketball, and football. It's just different. And so when these guys come in here and act the way they do, it, it does draw some attention. I had multiple fans reach out to me on social media and say after they hit the home run on Sunday in the ninth to go up, that some, a two-lane baseball player threw a baseball over the screen into the grandstand. If that is true, then that should be investigated and uh, Tulane should suspend that player. Anybody that ever throws anything into the grandstand under any circumstances – uh, should be suspended. So that's how I feel about that. And uh, I'm not a big fan to it. And, and you know, you're going to say, Steve, you're, you're taking all the fun out of it. Uh, no, winning is fun. Going to Omaha is fun. Winning a series is fun. Uh, going to the official social media accounts of Tulane Baseball and doing the Ole Miss thing, that's not fun. At least it's not to me. I, I think it's beneath us. I think we as a baseball program is a blue blood in college baseball. I think we should be above that sort of thing. The, the whole thing about the uh, Ole Miss people going and trolling the Arkansas State official account. Uh, listen, I don't know if you guys know this. Tommy Raffo doesn't run that account. None of those players run that account. That's one of the problems uh, with social media. Probably one of the best and worst things about it. It's made the world a much smaller place. And it's given a lot of people a chance to have uh, a voice in topics that really they haven't earned. And say, well, I've got an opinion. I want to go out there and support my team. That's cool. You know, support your team, tweet out a graphic and say we won. But, you know, to go troll those official accounts that are basically, you know, run by some uh, student worker, it didn't get you anywhere. All I think it does is just make you look a little silly. And then you, you do what Ole Miss did, and you go out there and you do the whole, hey, you just got beat by Dirty Mike and the boys. And then all of a sudden you got the Central Florida uh, camp trolling you because of how you acted. And so I, I just think, you know, and maybe again, maybe I'm alone in this, but I just think that we at Mississippi State should be above that type of behavior. I think it's kind of uncouth. I think it's poor form. And I think that uh, we should win with some class. And listen, you want to pimp a home run when you walk it off? I'm all in favor of that. I am. Because, again, you've won something. You know, when you get uh, hit by pitch in a second inning and everybody pours out of the dugout, I mean, that's, you know, it's just not good stuff. And those are the things that get you beamed. And you can say, Steve, you, well, you, you support that? Well, I mean, hey, you know, some of that's baseball. I don't ever want to see anybody get hurt. But, uh, you know, I, I do believe in baseball justice. I really do. But I don't want to see anybody get hurt. But, you know, sometimes you got to send a bit of a message. 
You can say, well, Steve, uh, that, that kind of goes against what you just said. Uh, I completely disagree. I think if somebody's up there acting out, sometimes you got to let them know there's only so far we're going to let this thing go. Let's talk a little bit about that Friday night game. And I'll be honest with you, I really thought that we um, we looked really mediocre in that ball game. I'm just going to call it like it is. I mean, we did not attack the baseball well. Uh, Christian McLeod was not sharp. And to be honest with you, that's that's two weekends in a row with Christian. I'm not ready to get concerned about it. But it is something that uh, is on the radar a little bit. You know, McLeod comes out, and uh, we get him that one nothing lead. And the first time through the order, he's really good. And he didn't have his best stuff, so he was out there kind of competing and grinding through this thing. And then in the third inning, they get to him. And uh, that's kind of what happened against Texas. You know, we get to the first time through the order, you know, really strong. And the next thing you know, Melendez and those guys, you know, start barreling some balls up. And so that's something that uh, I'm sure Scott Foxhall is aware of. He didn't need me or you to remind him of that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we're not used to losing on Friday. I mean, those are things that I look at. I think, you know, with Christian McLeod out there last year, you know, we, we expected to win all those ball games. And uh, McLeod comes out, gets a fly out in the second, uh, walks a guy, strikeout swinging, strikeout swinging, and, again, gets behind in some, some, count, uh, some counts there. But he was still competing. And we get to the third, and uh, it was just a different deal. You know, I mean, it really was. We go one, two, three. We get a case swinging. We get a case swinging. And I wrote about this. It was just kind of a tough luck thing, man. It was like this freaky hit by pitch sparked a rally for them. You got Ethan Groff, who was absolutely overmatched in the at-bat. Gets down, you know, two strikes. Fouls one off, takes a ball, and then a breaking ball just gets a little bit too loose and fast, hits him on the foot, and it puts him on base. And this is a guy that, you know, I don't think – I think if he sat up there and hit against Christian McLeod ten times, he gets a hit once. Then Groff goes to uh, to second. They steal the, bat, the, bat, the bag, and we throw it down. A great throw by Logan Tanner, and Cam James can't field it clean. The inning continues, and then Burns hits the home run. It's a two-to-one game. Then there's an infield hit uh, out to short. And then we throw a wild pitch. We walk a guy. We give up a single. And next thing you know, it's a 3-1 ball game. And all of that could have been prevented. We had three different chances to get out of the inning, and we didn't. And that's what happens. When you give good teams extra outs, they make you pay for them. That's what happened to us in that situation. It's not just about the error. It's not just about the hit by pitch. It's, you know, it's three things in the inning that we could have we could have got out of the inning. We didn't. And we added our own misery with the uh, the wild pitches. Then we go one, two, three in the third, and we get them out one, two, three. And, uh, you know, you're down three, one. And I know some people are saying, oh, well, here comes Landon Sims. Well, there's no way we're going to put Landon Sims in a ball game when we're in a deficit. On Friday night, I mean, come on. It just doesn't happen that way. That wouldn't be good baseball. We get them out one, two, three in the fourth. We go right back out one, two, three in the fourth. And in the fifth, you know, we walk the lead. Uh, Raleigh Self comes in. We walk the leadoff hitter. We get a K. We get a caught stealing and a fly out. And uh, Raleigh needed a good inning. You know, Raleigh had a kind of a tough inning out there in Arlington. And listen, Raleigh Self's going to have to pitch well for us this year. I mean, we're going to need him to do some middle relief for us, especially when we need to roll up a ground ball. That cut fastball is something that we can kind of rely on. We come out in the fifth. Uh, strikeout swinging, 
double to right center, and then we strand the runner with a, you know, strikeout, a walk, and a ground out. Top of the sixth, and this is when things really got interesting. We bring in uh, Xavier Lovett, who was absolutely lights out in Arlington. He is still a young pitcher with electric stuff. Gets off to a decent start. You get a fly out, and then we let a guy on on a fielding error. And then we we compound the issue with the wild pitch. Then we walk a guy. Now you got runners at first and second. They double, chase in a run. It's now four to one. Baumgartner gets a single, drives in two runs. Now it's six to one. We finally get out of the inning. Uh, Chase Patrick comes in and kind of gets us out of there, uh, even though he gave up a hit there. And it's a six-one ball game. I think everybody in the ballpark thought, you know what, we're in a lot of trouble here because we're not hitting the baseball. We're not hitting the baseball. We're not used to it happening to us on Friday night. Uh, Tulane gets into the seventh. And, uh, excuse me, back up here a second. We did push the run across in the sixth. That's on the Hancock double. Uh, drove in Tanner Allen to make it 6-2. So, we felt like, you know, we're kind of back in it. We just got to hold the game in place a little bit. We get out there in the seventh to get a line out, a case swinging. We walk another guy. Then we have a throw in there on the pitcher. Throw, throws the ball away. And then uh, we get out of the jam there. Engelhard uh, flies out for us. We come right back, ground out. Landon Jordan gets a single. And then uh, we get the fielder's choice, and then Rowdy Jordan grounds out again. Rowdy's had a tough weekend, to be honest with you. We get into the eighth to bring in Dylan Carmouche, who I thought was outstanding, made his Bulldog debut, and really threw a heavy ball. There's a lot of people that throw hard, and there's a lot of people, there's others that throw hard with sink, and that's kind of how it appeals for Dylan Carmouche. Strikeout looking. Strikeout swinging. Then we hit a guy with a pitch on a 1-1 fastball, another guy that was completely overmatched. And then we strike out Groff swinging. So, great debut for Dylan Carmouche. And that's one of the things we talk about our pin. There's a lot of guys out there that are going to be, you know, filling roles for us that you guys are somewhat unfamiliar with. Uh, he is one of those names that you need to remember. We bring in Drew Talley. Talley was pretty good. Uh, but he did get hit a little bit. We, we give up the leadoff single, and again, this is his Bulldog debut. Strikeout Mender, and then uh, we get we get we get another stolen base opportunity, and Logan Tanner puts on a show, throws it down, and Scotty DeBruel drops a baseball. We had the guy out by ten feet. Strikeout Lewis Avilas, uh, and then Neiman gets the single to the right side, drives in a run. Now it's a seven-two ball game. We get Englehard to strike out again. We get into the bottom of nine here, and, uh, you know, we're down, we're down five runs. Nobody was expecting a big thing, but uh, they bring in the closer anyway. Hatcher flies out. Hancock walks. DeBrule flies out. Hancock takes second, basically on defensive indifference. Landon Jordan's hit by the pitch. McGowan reaches on a, on a uh, fielding error. They throw the ball away there. We push a run across. Now you've got a couple of guys on. Uh, with Rowdy up, and you're thinking, okay, you know, we still need some big things to happen, but we got ducks on the pond, and Rowdy flies out to center, and that's the end of the ball game. There was an incident that happened in this ball game. You know, we uh, Chris Lamonis comes out, and uh, you know, we have the uh, the pitcher checked out, Braden Olthoff, who I thought was absolutely outstanding. It's incredible how well he pitched, and uh, you know, listen, I don't blame Chris Lamonis for checking. I really don't. I don't know where it came from, but you know, it might have been as simple as he was looking at the wristband. There are some teams that still use that. That may be all it was. But he was reaching to his wrist, and at the times it looked like he was reaching into his glove. So I don't blame Lamonis. Uh, 
also know in that situation too we had a couple runners on and uh you know sometimes there's some gamesmanship with all that but uh it kind of backfired because i thought it really fired him up and again i said he was outstanding i don't know if we're going to see anybody the rest of the year that uh has a breaking ball quite like his and uh i tipped my cap to him uh braden althoff goes eight innings and only throws 92 pitches and some of that's us you know we started chasing some balls early in counts we got a little frustrated we give up six we get six hits against him and score a couple runs six k's just a one walk he didn't give us really anything it was a ground ball machine we're swinging over top of that breaking ball he's getting under bad angles and um we're beating the ball on the ground and so at that point, a lot of people are like, you know what, Steve, this is just, you know, we're not, we're not a very good baseball team. And uh, it's just like a rational exuberant sometimes rears its ugly head. Well, so does a rational negativity. We're going to run into some pitchers on Friday night. So, Nancy, go ahead and get ready for that. I mean, this is going to, everybody's got at least one good pitcher. And Tulane actually has a really good rotation. But, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have some guys out there, as Chris says, kind of rammed it up our tails. And uh, I really thought we responded pretty well to this uh, in the post game, and I uh, really need to come out and do a good job. But uh, we talk a lot about, you know, the Bulldog bullpen. And uh, I have read with great interest, you know, a lot of people have talked about our bullpen. Our bullpen's not great. I, I completely disagree. I think we're going to win a lot of ball games because of our bullpen. And we got to get some more quality starts out of the starters so they can kind of string this thing together. But let me give you some numbers. Even in the game that we lost, uh, Riley Self, no hits, no runs. Xavier Lovett does have a tough outing. Chase Patrick gives up one hit and uh, no runs in his his appearance. Casey Hunt, uh, no runs, no hits. Dylan Carmouche uh, strikes out the side. Drew Talley does give up a couple of hits and, and a run. But a lot of these guys are making their Bulldog debuts. I mean, you know, Xavier Lovett's had, what, two, maybe three appearances now. Uh, Chase Patrick has has kind of been a bullpen hand for us for a couple years. Casey Hunt pitched a little bit last year. Dylan Carmouche made his Bulldog debut and Drew Talley. And so you're kind of getting to know these guys for the first time. Riley Self, of course, I mentioned had a good inning for us. But, um, you know, I feel like bullpen was decent. You know, they tried to hold the game in place. And, uh, you know, it's not always going to be what we want it to be. But we lose that ball game. We come back on Saturday – and one other thing I want to say, too, before we get too carried away, too, I've had some friends tell me, oh, I canceled my trip because of the forecast. Guys, listen, uh, these Facebook meteorologists don't know what they're talking about. They don't. So if Mississippi State tells you a game is going to be rescheduled or changed, then take that to heart. Not just because your friend on Facebook says, oh, yeah, I've heard that the game's going to get canceled. I know some people that had tickets that didn't make the trip because they got some bad weather reports right all right it's game two and i really thought we needed to come out and kind of make a statement here we did not we didn't make a statement early on we did we did find a way to salvage it late but again Tulane comes out and pitches it really well kind of keeps us off balance let's run it down here real quick for you you know we kind of get this thing you know first inning immediately we come out there and uh give them the lead I say we give them the lead. I mean, let's be fair. Um, we walk the leadoff hitter, and then Burns strikes out swing, and then Mender pops up. And so we have a chance to get out of the inning. And then um, there's an infield single, and then they get two runners on. Neiman walks, and the bases are loaded. And then Hart pushes the ball through, and then we throw the second runner out at home. 
And so you don't walk the leadoff guy, you're out of the inning. Simple as that. You don't walk Neiman, you're out of the inning. These are self-inflicted things. Eric Sarantola uh, has missed some time. He wasn't especially sharp. And listen, I understand he's had some uh, some wildness in his career at Mississippi State, but uh, I'm told he had the best fall and spring training he's ever had at Mississippi State. Maybe it's nerves. I don't know. But uh, we certainly need a better start out of him the next time. So State comes back, and we answered right back and put two runs up in the bottom half of the first. Rowdy Jordan grounds out, and then DeBrule walks, and then Tanner Allen hits a home run. It's a 2-1 ball game. And all of a sudden we think, okay, order has been restored. We're going to be good here. It didn't really work out that way. I mean, it really didn't. Uh, it took us a while to kind of get our feet under us for sure. Uh, in the second, again, we trade the lead right back to him. Hastings hit by the pitch. Engelhard hit by the pitch. We put the first two runners on. Then we walk LaPrairie. Bases loaded, nobody out. But then Sarantola began to battle some. Strikeout Groff looking, burn strikes out swinging. Now we're one pitch away from getting out of this, but instead we give up a two RBI single uh, to Mender. And Mender played third for them, and I don't know if we're going to see a better defensive third baseman all year. I was really impressed with him. He made everything that was hit to that side look so incredibly routine. He got rid of the ball quickly. That was some things that state infielders kind of got caught with. You know, we'd make a play, we'd make a good stop, and then we have to pat and pat and pat and better just get rid of the baseball and uh, kind of rush the throw at times. I thought Mender made it look so simple for Tulane at third base. He was outstanding. Made a couple of big diving stops for them too. Uh, so it's a 3-2 ball game, headed to the bottom of two. We go out, ground out. Uh, we Cam James gets a single and then still second. So we've got a runner in scoring position with less than two outs. And Landon Jordan K's, Drew McGowan walks. And then Rowdy Jordan flies out to center field on a 3-1 count. Rowdy's off to a slow start. But here's the thing about Rowdy. If you know Mississippi State baseball, if you've watched him the last three years, you, you understand he generally is a slow starter. He get, lives, gives him a while to kind of get going. I know he hit a couple big bombs in Arlington. But he is the kind of guy that uh, top of the order, we're going to need two and three hits from him. We're going to need him to get on base. And we will get that. We will get that. That's the thing. It's just, just right as rain. You know this about Rowdy Jordan. That's who he is. He is a notoriously slow starter. He will get it going. I'm not, I'm not the least bit worried about Rowdy Jordan. Guy's a star. So we get out in the third, and uh, two lanes back out there. We, we get a ground out. Then there's an infield hit. Could have been ruled an error. Um, we bring in Landon Sims, and then Sims begins to shut him down. We get a strike out of Hastings, a strike out of Englehard, and we're out of the jam. And Sims is one of those guys, he's, he is going to rock the zone. You know what I'm saying? It's not just because he listens to Whitesnake. That's kind of who he is. That guy competes. We come out, go one, two, three in the third. Uh, Sims comes in again. K, K finally gives up a hit, and then another K. Strikes out the side, pitches around the one hit. We come up in the fourth, ground out, reach on an error, strike out swinging. Then uh, Landon Jordan walks, Drew McGowan flies out, ending over. So we get some guys on, can't get the big hit. Sims gets some one, two, three in the fifth. We go into the bottom of five and again get an opportunity. Rowdy flies out. Scotty DeBrule walks. I like him in the two-hole. I really do. I really like him in the two-hole because he can bunt. 
Uh, the bat stays in the zone a lot. You can hit and run with him. He's not a guy that's going to strike out a whole lot. I really like where he is. Uh, then Tanner Allen singles to left field. Now we got runners at first and second. We just need that timely hit, right? Logan Tanner walks. Bases are loaded. They make a pitching change here again. Bases loaded with less than two outs. We got to get something here. Sack fly, something. Ground ball to the right side. Anything to move the run home, we can't get it. Hatcher strikes out swinging, and then uh, Luke Hancock hits with ball back up the middle. They step on the bag at second. So, you know, we strand three right there. And it just kind of felt like, you know what, it's not our day again. Sim still in the ball game. We walk Hastings, and then he takes second. Engelhard doubles to left, and Hastings scores, makes it 4-2. Steven sits for La Prairie and then strikes out swinging. Groff singles, Burns walks, and then we strike out Mender, strike out uh, Louis Savilas. But it's now a 4-2 ball game, and it really felt like things were getting away from us. They make some defensive changes, and then Cam James hits a home run left center. Now it's a 4-3 ball game. Landon Jordan strikes out. We bring in, um, you know, we, we pinch hit uh, Garner for McGowan, and uh, he worked the count, worked the count, worked the count, hit a ball back uh, deep in the hole at, at short. They, they throw him out at first, and then Rowdy Jordan grounds out on a 1-0 pitch. It's a 4-3 ball game. We're back in it. We're just down a run. And so you're thinking, you know what, we're going to put a rally together here, and we're going to win the ball game. A little bit later, I didn't feel that way. Tulane comes up in top of seven, ground out, singled left, strikeout swinging, and then um, we get a tapper back to the mound and uh, we get them out. So we're out of the inning. We come up in the uh, in the seventh with an opportunity again, and uh, the roll singles on the bunt. We're, we're good to go. Then there's a CI. So now we have runners at first and second. Catcher interference is the call, and it was an 0-2 deal. They just wanted to get that strikeout so bad. Catcher kind of came off out of his uh, stance a little bit too quick there. So now you got first and second, nobody out. I really thought we would bunt Logan Tanner here. We didn't, and he hits into a double play, and then Hatcher flies out. Probably a lost opportunity, especially late in the ball game. I'm not going to second-guess Chris Simonis because maybe Logan Tanner can't get the bunt down. I don't know. But I know in a regional type event, even guys that are marginal bunters, you're going to have them do it. And this is a one-run ball game, especially a game after we lost on Friday we needed to win. We get into the eighth inning. Engelhardt hits the home run, solo home run. And it's one of those things you're thinking, you know what, it's just not our day. We're going to lose again. We finally claw back in it. We get to within a run. They take it back out to a two-run lead. Then we get a ground out, ground out, strikeout swinging. So we're down to going to the eighth. Hancock flies out, uh, Cam James uh, grounds out, Landon Jordan gets us a hit there, and then Cumbus flies out on the very first pitch he sees. And you know what? That ball that Brad hit would have been out on Sunday because the wind was really blowing out strong to left field. And probably on a spring or summer day that ball gets out. But it was the air was kind of thick. It was cold. Didn't work out for us. So we bring in Stone Simmons to pitch for uh, Houston Harding, who did a good job for us. And uh, a lot of people wonder, is Houston Harding, is he a midweek guy? What is he? I, I, I kind of like him as a middle reliever, a long reliever on the weekends. This is a guy that works fast and uh, has an incredible change. Probably his best pitch is his changeup. It's kind of that tunnel pitch where same arm action, same arm speed, same arm slot as his fastball. And so there are a lot of people, when they see it leave his hand, they're thinking fastballs, they're all out in front. But that changeup is his best pitch. Had a chance to visit with him, watch him pitch this summer down in Meridian. 
really impressed with his moxie. He's a guy that really wants Mississippi State to win, too. So Stone Simmons comes in, ends up being the pitcher of record, and uh, gets Mender to ground out, gives up a single, an infield single, and then Neiman uh, hits into the fielder's choice, and then Hart grounds out. And so we're down 5-3, headed to the ninth. Little did we know what was about to happen. Rowdy, who had had a tough day, leads off with a single on an 0-2 count. Matter of fact, uh, it was an 0-2 count, and he had fought a, pa- a pitch off and fouled it off to kind of keep the bat alive and, uh, you know, hits a single to right center. So now all of a sudden, you know, we got the time to run at the plate. Scotty DeBrill singles to left field, first pitch swinging. Rowdy takes third. Now you got runners on the corners, and you're thinking, okay, we've got three, four, five coming up. We've got a chance to really make this thing happen. Well, then they walk T.A., and I really think they didn't, they didn't intentionally walk him. It was one of those, we're not going to intentionally walk him. We're going to just see if he'll chase. He didn't. Four pitches, bases are loaded. And then Logan Tanner absolutely murdered a baseball to the left side. I was told today the exit velo was 110 miles an hour. Absolutely crushed it. Told me in post game that he wanted to hit a ball down uh, on the ground because he knew if he could clear the infield with the outfield playing back that everybody had a chance to score. And so he pushes those two runs across. The game is now tied. They walk Josh Hatcher intentionally, and I've seen a lot of people question this move, and let me try to explain as best I can. Uh, Josh Hatcher's run means nothing. It's not, if you're Tulane, you're thinking, you know what, this guy scores, it doesn't matter anyway. You know, what's the difference in getting beat, you know, 6-5 to five or 7-5? It doesn't make any difference. But you walk Hatcher to load the bases to set up a force at any base. That way, if you get a tapper back to the mound, you can get the force at home and maybe even turn a 1-2-3 double play then you're a pitch away from getting out of the jam. So it was the right baseball play. And it also puts you in a situation where, um, you know, you begin to think, you know, Luke Hancock hadn't had a huge day so far, even though he's a dangerous hitter. But they start him with a slider, and he hits a walk-off grand slam, and State wins the ballgame 9-5, to and then pandemonium ensues. And a lot of people have been critical. Oh, yeah, well, how can we criticize the two-lane dugout for all their hot dog stuff and then our guy pimps the home run? Uh, when you hit a walk-off home run or a walk-off grand slam, you can sit there and admire it as much as you want to. That's the way that I look at it. If they don't want you to dance, they better keep you out of the end zone. If they don't want you to pimp a home run, they better not throw your ball up in the zone. That's just kind of how I see it. That's sports. You hit, it'd be one thing if you're, if you're sitting there and admiring one in the seventh inning, you know, in a one-run ball game. But if you hit a walk-off, pimp it all you want. Go to the Elijah McNamee School of Pimping Home Runs for all I care. But uh, I think those criticisms – I think sometimes we try too hard to be Ole Miss fans. I mean, I, I really do, and, it, and it, it is offensive to me. It really is. It's like we some of our fans – we adopt their talking points because I guess we want to appear cool to them. I'm not going to chase this rabbit trail for long. I don't care what they think about us. The last thing we need is a lecture on how to act on a baseball diamond from Ole Miss. Give me a break. We had a kid in an emotional ball game that hit one of the biggest home runs of his life to give us a win when we had to pry the jaws of defeat open and pull victory out of it. And you're not going to give that that kid a chance to show a little emotion? You check yourself. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Absolutely check yourself. So we got to play baseball on Sunday. They moved the game up till noon. And a lot of that was just to kind of get out ahead of the rain. We thought it was going to be okay on Saturday. I asked uh, Greg Campbell, SID for baseball, on Saturday, any word on Sunday. He goes, you know what, we're going to go look at the uh, – Chris is going to talk to the meteorologist. We're going to look at the radar and make a decision. Then before we really got home and got settled, they shared with us that uh, going to be a noon start instead of a 1 p.m. start. And that's cool too. You know, the sooner the better. That way we can get in bed and get out and get going. All right, so – Again, we give Tulane a lead early on in this ball game uh, on Sunday. And it seemed like all weekend long we were chasing Tulane. It really did. And that's the thing that I, I credit our Bulldogs with is that we didn't play exceptionally well, and we still won the series. And listen, we have not hit it how we're capable all season just yet. You know, we went up there and played, you know, three top ten teams in Arlington, and we kind of kind of wrote that off, even though we had the best offensive showing we kind of wrote that off and said, you know, hey, you know, it's three top ten teams. That's kind of how it's going to be. Runs going to be at a premium. You know, Tulane, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, uh, you know, be their media relations person or be their agent. But uh, they're a good team. Probably better than people realize. But I'm not going to sit here and act like they're going to Omaha just because they gave us a little trouble. You know, but they pitched it really well. We didn't hit it exceptionally well, but the hitting will come around. But uh, it did seem like we were kind of chasing them the whole game, which made all those dugout antics that, that much more irritating, right? Because if we're up 4 or 5 nothing, you know, then all of a sudden you kind of laugh that stuff off. But, uh, you know, we start Jackson Fristo, who I love. Man, I tell you, that kid's a gamer, man. I, lo- I love a guy that's really ready to get out there and compete. He gives up one hit in the first inning, works around it, and uh, strikes out the next two hitters he faces. We go one, two, three in the first, and uh, that's something that's got to get better. We got to give these young guys some lift. We got to find a way to get some runs on the board. Uh, Tulane breaks through in the second, you know, and it's one of those things too. The Fristo kid's pitching his heart out, strikes out the first two guys, and gives up an 0-1 uh, home run to left field. Birchville then follows with a single, and then we walk a guy. Foxhall goes out to kind of calm him down, and uh, we get a strikeout. And, okay, we're out of the inning. And so – and that's going to happen. You know, JT Gann talked about that, you know, when, when he was a freshman. You know, gives up that home run, and it's the only one he gave up the, the rest of the year. The only home run he gave up, probably the only SEC weekend guy to only give up one home run. And if I'm not mistaken, it was the first college hitter he faced to give up a home run. And our people were thinking, oh, this kid's overhyped. You know, that's going to happen. Everybody has that welcome to college baseball moment. Perhaps that was it for Jackson Fristo. People forget he threw three no-hit innings in Arlington against Texas Tech, one of the most prolific offenses in the country. And they'll get it going too. And so the kid bounces back, does a good job. We go out there in the bottom of second, single up the middle, struck out swinging, line out, strike out swinging. We got to have some more competitive bats there. We have to. Top of the third, the kid gives up a triple, 
And it was one of those things, too, where the wind kind of played havoc with the baseball. Tanner Allen, not a natural right fielder, but still a great athlete. But the farther he ran to, to right center, the wind, who was blowing hard out to left, just kept pushing the ball away from him. He just couldn't get there. Ends up being a triple. And then crazy, we end up getting out of the thing. It's a line shot to Tanner Allen. He gets it and throws home. The runner leaves early. We appeal. We get the out. And um, then we strike out Avila's swinging. So as crazy as that sequence was, it's still a one nothing ball game. Bottom of third, we come out. Uh, we get Cumbus grounds out. And then uh, Leggett nearly hits a home run. Saw him play this summer too. But he is a right-hander. He got that ball up in that uh, in that, uh, that jet stream out there and nearly took it out. Probably missed a home run by about 18 inches. Then Rowdy Jordan walks. So here we are. We've got runners in first and second, a chance to break through. And then DeBrule grounds out. And, um, you know, Leggett and Rowdy move up. So now we've got runners in second, third. Tanner Allen's up. Works a full count. Strikes out swinging. So, again, we strand a couple guys. We get to the fourth, and uh, Neiman hits a home run. Now it's a 2 nothing ball game. We get Minner to fly out. We pop out the short with Engelhard, and then uh, Birch fields out swinging. So, again, the kid's competing, and they're not stringing anything together. He's just kind of been the victim of a couple of home runs. And, listen, I want this kid to compete. I want him a challenge hitter. He's got electric stuff. That ended it for him, so he goes four innings, which is a now career high for him. But, you know, you'd like to get him into the fifth. You know, we get him some run support. Maybe you can stay with him there. We bring in uh, Carlisle Kessler, who uh, was good in Texas. He was better today. He strikes out Bim looking, and then Stevens reaches on an error by the pitcher and uh, tap it right back to him. We threw the ball away. We compound that with a wild pitch, but we're able to get out of it with the ground out and a pop out. And so we're back in the dugout down 2 nothing. Leggett gives us a, a leadoff walk. Really battled there. Uh, got down 0-2. Works account full. Gets a walk there. Then Rowdy Jordan fouls out. DeBrule reaches on a fielder's choice and Leggett's out at second. And then Tanner Allen strikes out swinging. I mean, it, was, it felt like it was getting late early. You know what I'm saying? It's like it just felt like we were running out of outs even though we still had four innings to go. Sixth inning, uh, Tulane threatens again, but we work through it. They get a leadoff double, and then they get a single. And so now all of a sudden you got runners at first and second with nobody out. Well, then they, they ground into a double play. Great play by Tanner Leggett, who grabbed the ball, stepped on the bag at third, fire across the first. You get a couple outs, and then you walked Englehart, and then we brought in Brennan Smith. I love the way we're using Brandon Smith. I really do. I, listen, I don't, is, should he be a middle reliever? Should he be a starter? I don't know. But I know how competitive he is, and I like the fact that uh, he is getting to pitch on weekends. Birchville gets a single, and uh, next thing you know, it seems like we're in a little bit of a jam there, but uh, we get a strikeout swing in there. Get a strikeout swing in the end the inning. And uh, this wasn't when we had the big outburst. This is just, you know, what Brandon's is kind of getting going here. So, Logan Tanner opens up in the sixth with a walk. Hatcher grounds out to second, but Tanner's able to get to second. That He thought about turning two there. I don't think he would have had him. 
We get a runner in a scoring position. Then Hancock doubles to right center. Tanner scores, and it's a 2-1 ball game. Now we're right back in it. They bring in Schlegel to pick for, pitch for Jack Aldrich, and I thought Jack was pretty good. Cameron James hits the home run to put us up 3-2. And Cam James has struggled defensively. There's no getting around that. But he's getting there offensively. This guy's got three home runs now. The defensive stuff will come around. He's kind of speeding himself up a little bit, kind of playing back on the ball. He needs to go get the baseball because when he plays back and let the ball kind of play him, you kind of got to rush and throw a little bit. But he is going to be fine. We, uh, we pinch hit there after that, and uh, Landon Jordan comes in and hit for Cumbus, and he walks. McGowan pinch hits for Leggett, and um, he flies out. So the inning, you know, the inning's kind of moving along there, but you're thinking, okay, we still got to run around because uh, Jordan goes to second on a wild pitch, and the Rowdy Jordan grounds out short. Yeah, Rowdy has kind of been a, a, a rally killer at times this weekend. But as I told you earlier in the show, I'm not worried about Rowdy. I know it sounds good, you know, to say, oh, you know, Rowdy's doing this and we need to move Rowdy from leadoff. You know, those are all hot takes. But if you if you follow baseball at all with Rowdy Jordan, you know he's going to get going. You know he is. It just sounds like every time I mention his name, you know, it's it's ending and ending. So top seven, uh, Stevens opens up with a single and then Burns gets an, in, an infield hit and there's first and second, nobody out. But we battle through it. Again, the bullpen battles through it. Groff fouls out, trying to bunt. Avilas flies out. Neiman grounds out. We're out of the inning, and we maintain the lead. We go into the seventh, and then we go one, two, three. And uh, we needed to kind of try to get an insurance run there because, listen, that's two, three, four right there going one, two, three. I think it was bait. It was less than a 10-pitch inning. That's not going to get it done. we got to have more productive at-bats. Tulane in the eighth. Uh, they reach on an error. That's on Cam James, and uh, that's the one where – we, we padded and padded and padded and kind of threw up line and Hatcher actually tagged him, but I think he was already on the bag. But it was a great effort by Josh. Rather than pout, we battle back. Engelhard strikes out looking, Birchfield strikes out swinging, and then we strike out Bim swinging as well. So we strike out the side, kind of pitch around the error there. Bottom of eight, you'd like to be able to get an insurance run. They bring in that lefty side-hander, uh, side-armer, Justin Campbell, we lead off with a single there. Josh Hatcher really delivered a nice uh, lick there going the opposite way. You got a chance, you know, maybe do we um, do we bunt here? Well, probably not with Luke Hancock up there. And then Hancock hits into the double play. They change up pitching, and then we they strike out Cam James. And so we go to the ninth. I think at this point we're thinking, okay, we got Spencer Price out there, we'll be okay. But, you know, Spencer's a guy sometimes that likes to live on the edge. I like it when Spencer is a drama-free guy. I really do. But there are times that Spencer struggles to spot that slaughter up for a strike. That really wasn't the case today. He gets Stevens to K. We get Burns to line out. Two outs. Fans are on their feet. They're clapping rhythmically. We're ready to go. Let's go to the house with a series win. And then Groff takes the first pitch he sees and pushes it in the left field. And you're thinking, okay, all right, no, no harm done there. And then we throw a slider and we get Avilas to swing over the top. We're thinking, okay, this is it. And then he hits an absolute bomb to left field, and it's like nobody could believe it. Every run the Tulane scored today all came via the home run. Two solo blasts and then a two-run shot in the ninth. It's crazy. Neiman then gets on an error, 
And then we battle back and strike out Mender. And we get out of it, and we're thinking, do we have another ninth inning comeback in us? Well, of course we do. But at the time, it's, we just weren't exactly sure how it was going to work out. Landon Jordan then grounds out, and you're thinking, man, this is how it works. Because usually when the leadoff guy gets on, you score. When the leadoff guy gets out, it seems like it snowballs on you. Drew McGowan gets down 1-2 uh, in the count and battles and battles and battles and battles and battles and then gets on. So now the time runs on base. And then we send him on a stolen base. And, when, and we sent him, I couldn't believe it, but we did. And when you look at how Rowdy's been hitting, it makes a little sense there. But we send him. So now all of a sudden, Rowdy's got a chance to drive in a time run. And Rowdy blisters the ball, but lines out to left field. They had him played perfectly. They really did. I, I have no idea why they had cheated so far to the line, but they were there. Uh, ordinarily, if they're playing straight away, that ball's down, and McGowan's going to score easy, and Rowdy's probably standing on second. Then they walk Scotty DeBrule. It's, again, a veteran guy, and it's sitting in two-hole. I really like that move. And then they have the wild pitch. They spike a breaking ball to Tanner Allen, and uh, Niners runners on second and third. I still don't understand why they left the right-hander in to face Tanner Allen when they had two guys warming in the pen. He had a lefty and a righty, but they stuck with their closer. And um, Tanner made it interesting. You know, we get down, I guess we get down 0-1, and then we battle back, and that's 2-1. We foul a couple balls off, and next thing you know, it's a full count. And I just kind of felt like in that moment, Tanner Allen had the, the winning edge emotionally. To me, it looked like that uh, Gillis from Tulane, like his body language is like he was just kind of hoping Tanner would get himself out. And he died and he blisters that ball to left field and two-run score. And, again, I want to go back and look at your bullpen here. There's some, again, there, there's these false – sometimes it's like we're scared to give Mississippi State credit for anything. I don't, it's like when I, when I see and hear these things, I think, man, who needs Ole Miss fans when our own fans are doing their job for them? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Let's look at the box score here. Look at our pitching. You know what Fristo did? Fristo goes four innings, uh, five hits, gives up a couple runs, both of them home runs, struck out seven and walk one. I'm going to live with that line. Uh, Carlisle Kessler comes in, goes 1.2 innings, scoreless relief. Brennan Smith comes in, 2.1 innings, scoreless relief. And then you get to Spencer Price, who gives up the tank late. But, you know, your middle relievers did what they were supposed to do to get the ball to your closer. We just couldn't close it out. And so I say that because I think it's important. Let's look at the numbers. You know, let's look at what the numbers really are. Like, oh, the bullpen, the bullpen. And that's a false narrative. The perception about the bullpen is not good. But I thought Fristo gave us a quality start. Your middle relievers uh, string this game along and get it to the ninth. And, you know, in hindsight, maybe it's better to stick with Brandon Smith there. But there's a reason Spencer Price is your closer, and that's because of the fact that he's got that great slider he can get so many swings and misses with. And let's be honest, he just left the pitch up. He made a mistake. He got the first two guys out, and you're feeling good about life. And, and we get an 0-1 count there. And, listen, I give uh, Avila some credit for staying locked in and, and making that shot. But, um, you know, we win the series two games to one. And uh, there are a lot of people that, that didn't have that kind of weekend, as you guys are well aware. So a lot of you wonder about rankings this time of year. I, it's, it's something to talk about, but it's really not a big deal. I guess Ole Miss was named number one on Tuesday. 
you know, the D1 baseball waited to announce their poll after the thing in Texas was done. Uh, as I said on the show, Ole Miss deserved it. They went out there and they uh, swept, you know, three top ten teams. They were already ranked number six. Uh, they lose two out of three to Central Florida this weekend. They no longer deserve it. They'll probably drop to six or seven. They're not the number one team in the country. You know, it's one of those things where we have to some, have somebody number one. And so with all this traffic in the top five, it made sense to name them number one. I got no problem with that. But they're not the best team in the country. Uh, and they showed that. Their bullpen is going to lose them a lot of ball, ball games. And you saw that this past weekend. Uh, they got some some great starting pitching. But, um, you know, uh, offensively, they're they're dreadful. And I looked up some stats earlier. I'm, I'm calling this from memory. Like some people were saying, oh, you know, State and Ole Miss kind of similar offensively. We're well, really not. Uh, we've struck out 39 times. They've struck out 67. Give me the guys putting the ball in play over the guys swinging and missing. Now, State will probably stay in the top five. But what does that get you right now? I mean, honestly, what does it get you? Listen, I'd love to be number one, too. And we have been several times in our history. But I want to be number one at the end of the year. I don't necessarily have to be number one in the middle of the year. I mean, it's fun to talk about. And I guess if we had never been number one, I would feel differently. But it's like John Cohen said the day that he was hired to be your baseball coach. You know, we've been to Omaha before. And just getting to Omaha is not enough for us. There's only one thing left. That's for us to win a national championship. We want to be number one at the end of the year. That's the only poll that really matters. But that's your baseball recap. And before I get out of here on that aspect of it, uh, Mississippi State baseball is playing Southern Miss scheduled on Tuesday. Look for that game to get postponed to Wednesday. I think it's a good chance that happening. Uh, probably get some official word on Monday, I would suspect. But I feel really good that that game is going to get pushed back a day and we'll play Southern Miss on Wednesday. Don't know who's going to start. I imagine we'll take a Johnny Holstaff approach and get some guys some work. Uh, Southern Miss with a big series win over UConn this weekend. Uh, and listen, that's going to be – listen, a lot of those guys at Southern Miss, good ball players, man. They're, they're a good team. I think that's one thing about Mississippi baseball this year. I think there are a lot of teams that are going to have postseason uh, aspirations and potential. And so that's, they're going to give us their best shot. I don't know if they throw any weekend guys, but we're going to get their best shot uh, when we played them. I think actually playing them on Wednesday probably lessens the opportunity for them to, to throw a weekend guy even for a couple of innings on, on Tuesday. So look for that. Later today, probably have uh, an announcement sooner rather than later. It is now time for today's top 10 list uh, brought to you by Dr. Robert Yarber. Dr. Yarber is part of a great group of physicians called the ENT Physicians of North Mississippi. That's ear, nose, and throats. If you're one of those people that has these chronic issues, we've had some of that in our family before. These chronic issues, you get these sinus headaches, uh, you get these earaches, you know, you get off balance, and uh, you, know, you think, well, it's just allergies, I'll just treat it with some over-the-counter medication, uh, and you really don't do anything. You know, it continues to be a chronic issue for you. Now is the time to address that once and for all. Go see Dr. Yarborough. Let him take care of you. And, and he'll tell you, hey, listen, there's a procedure we can do to fix this. There may be some other things we can do. Maybe it's medication. But it's better to get an actual physician to help you rather than your Facebook friends. Reach out to Dr. Yarber today. Two locations to serve you right here on 910 Stark Road in Stark, Vegas, and then 618 Pegram Drive in Tupelo. Give him a call today, 662-844-6513. No sense in putting yourself uh, through that misery if you don't have to. Simple as that. Today's top 10 list, I told you guys 
we're going to do the top 10 uh, country walk-out or walk-up songs on the Mississippi State baseball team this year. Well, there's not 10. So I had to improvise a little bit, and I think you'll like what I've done here. But uh, I'm not going to waste a lot of time kind of prefacing this thing because I'm, I'm not a really big country music guy, but I listen to every one of these songs, and I ranked them based on how I like them. Okay? So here we go. There were only seven country walkouts or walk-ups on the list this year. Only seven. So I had to kind of pull from some previous years or some songs that get regularly played at, at Dirty Noble to fill out my top ten. But I promise you guys a country list, and we'll do the rap songs on Wednesday. I'm going to reach out to my experts, which are my kids, and have them help me rank those because I want to do that list justice. But here are the top 10 country walk-up songs. Number 10, not a walk-up, but song that gets played every game at Dirty Noble Field. It's Parachute by Chris Stapleton. I'm a big Chris Stapleton fan. Probably could have gone a little higher with this one, but I wanted to kind of honor the fact that uh, some of these walk-ups to give our guys a little bit of a nod here. My number nine song, and I think it's kind of an odd choice for a walk-up, but it's not my walk-up. But it's Mercury Blues by Alan Jackson. That's the walk-up song for Brad Jackson, for Brad Compass. And he's had it the entire time he's been there. You know, crazy about a Mercury. I'm going to get myself a Mercury and cruise it up and down the road. Uh, I respect it. I like Alan Jackson. I really do. Number eight, and, I, and this, you know, I do that tweet mid-eight because of the fact that I think it's funny. But it's Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks. I didn't want to put that number one or kind of push that ahead of some of these walk-ups because I thought it would be kind of disrespectful. But Friends in Low Places will make the list. And I know that Garth is not on Spotify, so Roy will have to uh, to get a cover. But uh, that's it. Now, we, the, the rest of these are walk-ups. Uh, number seven is uh, Whistling Dixie by Randy Hauser. I guess that's who it is. Preston Johnson, that's his walkout song. We hadn't seen Preston pitch yet, but uh, you'll get a chance to hear that soon. Uh, Kite McDonald picked Dirt on My Boots by John Party. I think I have heard that everywhere like the last couple of years. I've been in some clubs, and uh, they always play that song. It's kind of catchy. Uh, Stone Simmons, who was our pitcher of record on Saturday, God's Country by Blake Shelton. Good tune. I, I got to say I was kind of unfamiliar with that one, but I do like it. Um, number four on the list is Let the Moon Shine by Luke Combs. That is uh, the walkout of uh, Land of Jordan. I kind of dig that song. I'd never heard it before either, but I dig it. Uh, number three, Small Town USA by Justin Moore. That's Tanner Allen's song. And maybe it's because of the fact that I equate good good memories with Tanner Allen that I like that song. And I know that he's from Alabama. And he talks about, you know, Sweet Home Alabama and a six-pack of lime or whatever. Uh, so it's a good one. But, I, but my, one of my favorites on the current team is Luke Hancock's. It's No Place Like Hometown uh, by Hardy. I really like that song. I really do. I'm, again, I'm not a big country guy, but I like it. I like the sentiment behind it. I think all of us in small-town Mississippi probably feel that way. There's no place like where I'm from. But number one, the best country music western walk-up song of all time as it relates to Mississippi State is God's Gonna Cut You Down, Johnny Cash. John Holder's song, and I think it started an epidemic. I mean, it's like once Holder did it, it's like other people wanted to do it. And I thought that was just blasphemous. I mean, he brought that song out there. It was so absolutely perfect. And when that song started playing, we all knew the game was over. It's just how we felt. But that's it. That's number one, God's Gonna Cut You Down by Johnny Cash. 
That's top 10 list today. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. Many of you do. Some of you always uh, have duplicates, but don't stop messaging me anyway. Because, I, I, listen, I've had people that have messaged me something that seems very obvious. I'm thinking, surely we've done that. And I'll check with Roy. No, we haven't. So we'll work through it. So Wednesday, again, will be the top 10 rap songs that were walk-ons for this year's baseball team. And, again, I will defer to the experts, uh, my kids. All right. Um, <clears throat> Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of this show, as you guys are well aware. Hey, listen, when you get to town, go by and see Stan the Man. Go see him. You'll be glad you did. He'll be glad to see you. They've got everything you need in their Mississippi State-related merchandising-wise, whether it be clothing, whether it be things for the home, the office, whatever. They can get it for you. Miss Kathy Brown, a prolific buyer, she really works hard to make sure that the latest fashions, Mississippi State-related items are there. And then there's a service with a smile with a lovely, talented Susie. When life gets back to normal, she might even hug your neck. If you can't make it to town to go meet that Motley crew, you can visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any orders less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, we'd be remiss if we didn't get here and talk about some men's hoops. Uh, we didn't extend the winning streak. But I'll tell you this. I got to give Ben Howland some credit. For some reason... He kind of has Nate Oates' number. You know, we didn't have the talent to pull the upset off either time. But it is incredible to me how well he has kind of dictated terms to Alabama. Alabama, your SEC champions. They beat us in Tuscaloosa 81-73. But we were riding that ball game until the very end. Uh, State gets behind in this ball game and battles back late. And it's a 64-59 deal for us. But um, – you know, if you had known ahead of time that ball game was going to bulk, bulk go down to the you know, final few minutes, you probably would have been a little bit surprised. I really was. And I thought Alabama would come out especially motivated after losing to Arkansas the way they did. But State really hung in there. Uh, we got down big by 13 at the break, and then we win the second half 38-30. Again, if you got a little more talent, you probably pulled this thing off. And that's not to throw shade at any of our players. I just think we needed one more score. Uh, there was a time there that Iverson, Molinar, and D.J. Stewart could not throw the ball in the ocean. D.J. ends up being your leading scorer with 15 points. Tolu Smith, big game again against Alabama. 12 points, 13 boards. Also had a steal. Iverson, Molinar throws in 11. Gets in a little bit of foul trouble. Uh, not a single assist, did have four turnovers. That's got to get better. That's got to get better. We look at our – when we talk about how good we can be, that's one of the things that's got to get better. Our point guard has got to absolutely improve with ball security and find a way to get his teammates involved. Abdul Adu has nine points, nine boards, played 29 minutes of action. Jalen Johnson had not played a lot lately, uh, seven points, and maybe it's because it's a perimeter-oriented game. It, maybe it plays to his skill set. Uh, Derek Fountain, everybody's newest favorite player, just goes three. Devion Smith with two. Uh, we're 10 of 17 from the line there. That's one of those things you look at and say you got to be a little bit better. One of 12 from the three-point line, too. So we didn't shoot it well from the perimeter, and then we didn't shoot it well from the free-throw line. That ultimately ends up being a difference in the basketball game. Uh, looking, Alabama, only seven of 28 from three, and that's what they live by. So we did a pretty good job kind of defending that. 15 of 17 from the line. You hold them at 
and you think, you know, how do you lose a ball game when you hold them at 32%? Well, you shoot 40% yourself. It's one of those things you look at and say, well, you know, we had our opportunities, but we dug a, a, a big hole for ourselves. We have 36 points in the paint. Uh, they have just 26. So that's, and that's Tolu Smith doing work for you right there. Second chance points, we have 17. They have uh, 10. And, again, that's, that's rebounding. That's your guys getting in there and uh, doing what they're supposed to do. But, uh, you know, we still got a couple games left. And uh, both of them are going to be on the road. And when we look at the schedule here, you know, Mississippi State still has a chance to have a winning record. We're still chasing that. We expected to lose this game. Okay, it's not a big surprise. We're 13-12 and 12 with two to play. 13-12 and 12 with two to play. If you win one of those two, you can do no worse than finish 500. You can do no worse than finish 500. We're 7-9 in a conference with two to play. Beginning of the year, you and I talked about it, and we said, you know what, if we could somehow finish five, around 500 in SEC play, we considered a year of success. And now that we're in the middle of it, it's, you know, it, it, it seems kind of, you know, half-hearted, you know. It's, but if we told you beginning of the year, hey, you know, State's going to have a chance to go in the SEC tournament in the year with a winning record and be around 500 in conference play, after all we lost, we would have taken it. So we're going to be on the road a couple times this week. And, again, both of these are – are winnable games, and, you know, we've actually been a pretty good road team. But we're going to play Wednesday at A&M and then come back on Saturday and play at Auburn. Both of those games are winnable. They absolutely are. I'm not going to pick them. We'll talk about the, the A&M game on Wednesday and played in forever and a day. But we got a good chance to go down there and win that ball game. And then we'll see how the bracket looks once they uh, they roll it out. But, uh, you know, listen, there have been times this year I've been ready to give up on this team and these coaches and, and kind of move on. And I know many of you have kind of shared that same sentiment. But if we can end this thing on a positive note with all we have coming back and what we have coming in and what we have maturing a little bit, I think we can put ourselves into a pretty good situation next year and possibly make it, you know, maybe chase the tournament. You know, maybe so. And people say, well, Steve, I don't know how you feel that way. Well, I'll be honest with you. You know, Abdul will do one of the best post defenders in the country. You know, he's a liability on offense. So we got to find somebody to play the five and do a good job for us there. But, I, I, you know, maybe we go more of a guard-oriented team. But we have some talent. It's just a matter of kind of harnessing that and kind of moving them forward. Uh, I'm not a big fan of all our half-court sets. I think a lot of times we look very disjointed on offense, but uh, some of that's got to do with youth and some of that's got to do with guys kind of playing into uh, their roles for the first time. So I think if you give Ben Howen another year and then you kind of figure some things out you know, next year and then, then we make some decisions in. You know, I know some people would say, well, you know what, if you know you're going to have to do it next year, do it now. I don't know that we're going to have to do it next year. That's the thing. I think there is enough at this point, there is enough optimism, and you begin to think, okay, with the majority of this roster returning intact and these young guards beginning to develop, you got a chance next year to be a really good basketball team. Now, if D.J. Stewart goes pro, uh, then that, that, that changes the dynamic of your roster for sure. I think we can all see it that way. So, But I think Ben Howland, if we're being fair, you know, has uh, – has rarely been embarrassed this year. Uh, we didn't play well against Ole Miss and Starkville, and we got embarrassed by Vandy up at their place. But, uh, you know, we played well against some, some tournament teams, and there are some games we wish we had back. But um, I think all things considered, when you look at the totality of the season, 
if we can find a way to win a couple games down the stretch here, uh, we're going to feel really good about life, I think. You know, and a lot of people I know are kind of off the basketball bandwagon, but um, I think the right thing to do is to give the guy another year. That's my opinion. Listen, if you're thinking of moving to Starkville so you can go to all these basketball games and baseball games and everything else and being part of the Mississippi State community, give our folks at Portico a chance to take care of you. Brooks Bryant, former Diamond Dog outfielder. And uh, you know what? Breaking news, too, Brooks wasn't six foot either. He's still not six foot. But he was a good ball player. It's, some of you know the joke and some of you don't. Uh, but Brooks, listen, and Brooks has told me, listen, the folks at Portico have been really pleased with you all because uh, they started out with 18 homes in the first phase. Six, six of them remain. Twelve of those have already been purchased. So if you're looking to make a move sooner rather than later, you need to reach out to Brooks and the folks at Portico to kind of get this thing going. Uh, second phase, dirt work is being done now. Construction in second phase is going to start up late spring, early summer. And so if you're, if you're not maybe quite as emergent, maybe you're saying, you know what, Steve, we want the kids to get out of school before we make a move, then maybe that second phase is for you. Maybe so. Portico is a great community right off Garrett Road, 1.1 miles from campus behind the Chrysler Jeep dealership. Very, very easy to get to. Uh, you can get to 25 and 82 without any trouble at all. If you need more information, and chances are you do, give Brooks Bryan a call. He has some great stories about Richard Lee that I'll share with you. He has some great stories about Coach Pat McMahon I'll share with you. And if you're nice, he might tell you some great Ryan Polk stories. But the reason you're calling is because it's time to make your move to Starkville. Give Brooks a call at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. You'll be glad you did. All right, women's basketball. We, we did not have a good day on Sunday. There, there is no excusing that. There, it's just it's frustrating. It really is. Uh, Missouri is not a good basketball team, and it was senior day here. And as you guys are well aware, Jemiah Mingo Young and Rakia Jackson did not go into the ball game until uh, the game was pretty much decided. I guess three minutes and 50 seconds to go is what I saw Robbie Falk report, that they checked into the game with about four under four minutes to go in the third quarter. And the game was basically over at that point. We did not play well. And, and listen, Nikki said in postgame, you know, I wanted to focus on my seniors. I, I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that. I also have no problem with her keeping some things in-house. That's part of the job as a coach. I got a problem with her saying that. Because let's be honest, any question, any answer that she gives to that question is going to be disingenuous. As a coach, you got to protect your program and your players. And so if she came out and just said, hey, we had some – and I don't know this, but well, we had some disciplinary issues. We had somebody miss a workout. We had somebody, you know, do this or do that or whatever. You know, there's some things that are not for public consumption, and that's one of them. I think if you discipline a player, that's something that's probably best held within a team, within the locker room. It's not something that should be in the paper. But Missouri comes out, gets a five-point lead after the first quarter, and you think, okay, maybe we're emotional, we'll be okay. Well, they absolutely blew us out in the second quarter, go up 23-12. to 12. It's, a, you know, it's a 40-24 to 24 game at the half. And then in the third period, we come out, we get started, and the next thing you know, they're pulling away again, 24-16 in the third quarter, and they end up winning the game 77-57. 
We're ten and eight overall. They're nine and ten. They're five and nine in the league. We're five and seven. Uh, they played. I think everybody on the roster. It seemed like uh, Maya Taylor is your leading scorer with eleven points. Uh, Leah Mataro again comes in um, and wasn't hitting from three, but she's out there trying to make things happen for you now as a starter. Nine points. Sydney Cooks seven points. Jessica Carter three or twelve from the floor. That's got to get better. Six points. We're used to getting a double-double in five. Uh, and then uh, Madison Hayes, uh, again, not a very prolific scorer, but she's a very active defender for us. But, uh, you know, we just weren't good. Simple as that. Three of 22 from the three-point line and six of 15 from the free-throw line. Pulled down 31 rebounds and uh, scored 57 points, committed 14 personal fouls. And, um, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of you are kind of like me. It's like, you know, we have such high expectations for women's hoops and then when we don't hit them, it's very, very frustrating. And, and I get it, and I know you all feel that way too. It is a new season now, and um, it won't last for a whole lot longer. But uh, the SEC bracket is now out, which that tournament will begin in Greenville, South Carolina later this week. Uh, Mississippi State will play the morning game on Thursday against LSU. And you may recall we had a game down there in Baton Rouge where they had a lead on us. We came back, had a great second half, and won. Now, the winner of that game will go on to play SEC champion Texas A&M. So, that's probably a two-game run in the SEC tournament at best for Mississippi State. We need to find a way to go down there and beat OSU. And uh, I do believe State is in a tournament. The latest projections have us in. I know many of you are thinking, you know what, I, I don't even want to make the tournament. But then you would be the person that would say, you know what, we didn't make the tournament last year. So, yes, I do want to make the tournament. And uh, then we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see what happens. Now, I'm going to go ahead and prepare you for this. You're going to have some players leave. Get ready for it. Don't, don't clutch your pearls and run to Facebook and say, oh, my goodness. You're going to have some players leave, and some of that's going to be for the betterment of the program. Now, some of it we're not going to be happy about, but there is going to be some attrition in the offseason. You need to be prepared for that. Maybe even some names you know. And I know many of you follow the program so religiously to me, you may know all the names. But there is going to be some players leave the program. And then some people are going to use that as fuel to say, you know what, we're out of control. And you know what? Maybe. But be prepared. We're not just going to stand pat. You know, we've got some new recruits coming in. Listen, I think we're recruiting pretty well. We're not we're getting McDonald's All-Americans. But, uh, you know, part of the thing, too <laughs> – you know, and maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't think I am, though, but I'm going to be honest with you about it. You know, Vic Schaefer built a program on some scratch and dent players. You know, not many people wanted Morgan William since she was undersized. Not many people wanted Dominic Dillingham since she wasn't good enough offensively. Not a lot of people wanted Brianna Richardson since she couldn't handle basketball. Not a lot of people wanted Chinway Akore. But you know what? Those were the building blocks of what we did here to compete for two national championships. Now, everybody wanted Victoria Vivians. Victoria gave us credibility, but Victoria was also a Mississippi girl that had Mississippi values. What I mean by that is she was a hard worker. She wasn't gifted anything. She didn't have this sense of entitlement that a lot of other players do. And so as our profile as a program began to elevate we began to you know there's some recruiting doors that are open for us that wasn't open before and so we've kind of gotten away from our identity 
And so, yeah, with, well, Steve, you know, we, if we're going to beat South Carolina, we've got to have these players. You know, we beat South Carolina without them before. And so, if we're going to have to deal with all the sense of entitlement and we're going to have to deal with, you know, the little league parents, and you know what I'm talking about, right, then we're better off going and getting a scratch and dent player. And I'm not saying we got to go get people that don't have offers or whatever. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But I think we at Mississippi State, we need people that, that have something to prove. We, we thrive with people that have a chip on their shoulder. You don't think Morgan William wanted to show the world that she was better than what they expected from her? And Victoria Vivian didn't even make the McDonald's All-American game. You don't think she came in here with a chip on her shoulder to say, you know what, I'm just as good as this girl, I'm going to show them. And she did, and she played for two national championships, and she should have won one. And so I think in many respects – there's going to be a resetting of the roster and probably of the recruiting priorities. And I think that probably was going to happen anyway. It's, a lot of people say, well, you know, Vic knew how to handle them. Well, you know what? You're wrong. You know, Vic had his issues with this group too last year. You just didn't hear about it. You're not hearing a lot about it now. But you had an experienced coach that had a pedigree built up and you had also had people within the program that said, you know what, these are the standards and the expectations – but there was some issues last year. It just didn't make the paper. I can't sit here and promise you it's going to be okay, but I'm just going to tell you that I think next year will be a, a better year for us, and it better be. Hopefully this COVID stuff will be behind us so we can put a full non-conference schedule together and have a chance to go play and uh, build some camaraderie with this team. Now, listen, I'm going to get out of here. I gave you guys a long show, and I'll be honest with you. When I got home from baseball, I was thinking, you know what, I'll just wait and record Monday morning because I'm really tired. But now here I am in the wee hours of the morning recording for you guys. So I'm going to sleep in on, Wednesday, on Monday. If you're interested, I wrote a uh, SEC baseball review article, so you can kind of see how everybody did last week. Probably do that on Sunday nights when I'm not traveling for baseball. Probably do that and share that with you guys. You can kind of keep up with what's going on in the SEC. Uh, I like our league. I also think we've got a really good chance to, uh, uh, to win it, or we do. But I think we've got to swing the bats a lot better. We've got to get better starts. We all know this. That's why we play a non-conference. And, listen, we have kind of been thrown into the fry grease early on, too. You know, we didn't get to go play, you know, Monmouth or Wright State or Quinnipiac and people like that. We, we, we played some real baseball schools here the first couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, we're going to get Tennessee Tech here this weekend. And uh, people forget, but they, they beat Ole Miss in a regional here a couple of years ago. That's a program, too. They're going to swing the bats. Listen, it's going to do it for today. I'll see you guys on Wednesday. And by the time we get together on Wednesday, you know, we'll uh, – you know, I don't know if we're going to have played any games or not because we don't play men's basketball till uh, Wednesday night. We play women's basketball Wednesday morning. And we may not play baseball until Wednesday night. So – uh, when we get together and talk on Wednesday, we might just kind of talk about uh, updating the schedule and that sort of stuff. But uh, we'll talk recruiting or whatever. We'll figure some things out. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.